0: Talk about my mother's Suzanne Summers. Uh, oh, I
1: what love was it! Was the thing
0: that um, that she did that it was between your legs? The uh, what the was thigh that? Master. The thigh the master, master, right? Is that mm-hmm. kind of where this all began? I mean, bring it, where did it begin for you? Know, to bring us back to the the history.
1: Yeah, of no, it's interesting that you say that because I think that um, a lot of people and myself included, as of a few years ago, kind of have this idea that women's fitness history began with the 80s, 90s, you know, fitness crazes, um, from Jane Fonda to Suzanne Summers. Um, But part of why I wanted to write the book was because I discovered and I kind of just stumbled on this longer, richer history that really goes back. I mean, you know, you could trace it back to like the beginning (laughs) of time, but the purposes of my book, um, to the 1950s, which is when um, the kind of contemporary fitness industry began. Um, so there are many, many fitness pioneers who paved the way, for better or worse, <laughs> for Suzanne Summers. and um, and I kind of tell you know the rest of the story, so to speak, in my book.
0: And you say so? You're saying starting in the 1950s is when exercising became. What more popular in the mainstream culture? I mean, what was it really before then? Just smoking sure. and doing laps in the pool?
1: <laughs> yeah, if you were lucky. I mean, so um, so basically, you know, before the 1950s, and that's my my research really began in full in the 50s. But um, there were there were periods in American history when women were more active, were encouraged to you know to to exercise in a pretty gentle way, but um, but in the 1950s, so this was the post World War II era when there were really strict um, gender norms enforced. You know, after after the war, when so many women had gone to work, there was this sort of fear that women had been masculinized, and there was no going back. And so, as the troops returned home, you know, it was kind of like. Um, the country just needed this reassurance that men were still men and women were still women, whatever that meant, and that the proper social order was still in place. So what that meant in the context of the story I'm telling is that um, women were really discouraged from being strong, you know, from cultivating muscle, from having visible muscle, from sweating that was considered unladylike. There were all sorts of um, myths about what would happen if you, if you really pushed yourself from, you know, your uterus falling out and not being able to have babies to, uh, like turning into a man in the sense that you would grow hair in unwanted places and get big legs.
0: If they only knew what was coming.
1: I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, so, that was a really for me that was such an interesting place to start because it's so you know it's not that long ago and um it's just so much has changed since then in a relatively short period of time so it was in the 1950s when um women were kind of moving less than ever before and actually so were men it was as as more uh americans had access to kind of modern conveniences um I mean, everything from, you know, cars to appliances that only required the press of a, fi- of a button. Um, suddenly there was a concern for like for our collective health. Um, also, from a medical history perspective, a lot of the diseases of the first half of the 20th century, like the infectious diseases were starting to be cured with vaccines and patient but now there were there was a rise in disease born out of abundance you know and there was this cardiac crisis that was especially affecting men anyway against this backdrop um there were a few really forward-thinking pioneers who started to become really outspoken evangelists exercise
0: um i, I want to st- i just want to stop you real there yeah. quickly so i want to kind of go back to that whole world war ii 1940s and there was a name for the propaganda that america was using at the time but you can picture those old posters of the women with the you know the bicep yeah, the right Museum and like, like the, yeah the you do it in their hand and for mm-hmm. people who don't know you know women were bring, being brought into factories during world war right. ii to produce munitions you know Bullets and rockets and things like that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And then,
0: yeah, so that I I didn't, I never correlated that once that war ended um, and these men were coming home. Yeah, interesting. Because for years, women were pushed into the forefront of being Mm -hmm. like men. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, so Mm -hmm. then the current came back and that's where you kind of picked it up. Okay. Yeah,
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And like so many women, you know, went to work during that period and really found that they found that they enjoyed working,
2: okay. um,
1: but then were kind of told both explicitly and 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 not so much to, that they needed to leave their jobs, you know, to make room for men and to be at home, um, being a homemaker. So, um, yeah. And the baby was- boom began. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. So, yeah, it was in that period that a number of pioneers and I focus in particular on a woman named Bonnie Pruden um, began kind of uh, pitching exercise as the antidote to what they called the modern way of life, you know, which was something, the, the way of life that has only intensified since then, but a more sedentary, um, comfortable way of life. Mm-hmm. And um, And at first, you know, for women... Uh, it, it was a real uphill battle. And it would be another, it wasn't until the late 1960s that actually there was medical consensus on whether exercise was even good for you. Um, because, and that, that goes for men as well. There was a lot of, there was much more fear around overexertion than underexertion. But um, that began to change in the late 1960s. And that was when the country's real fitness boom kind of got started.
0: So, so well now this is new to me. Was there an actual like pinpoint of a fitness boom where it kind of began? You know, I mean, you can look at other booms like the comedy boom. Um, there was a fitness boom. Okay. How did that even start? Was there a certain person?
1: I mean, I think if, if, if one had to pinpoint it <laughs> on one person, uh, yeah, there was a guy uh, Dr. Kenneth Cooper and he had been um I believe he was surgeon general of the Air Force he was a, a military physician and he wrote a book in 1968 called Aerobics and okay. he kind of coined the term like the word aerobic had been around but no it wasn't part of the vernacular and it certainly wasn't used the way that we think of it today but he he had done a lot of research with astronauts and and airmen and pilots And um, had basically shown that contrary to some of those fears that I mentioned, you know, cardio, aerobic exercise that strategically stresses the heart and the pulmonary system is actually really beneficial for health. And so he wrote this book. It became a just like gigantic bestseller. Um, And it inspired men to start exercising, but it also, it, 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 directly, you know, addressed the fact that this was safe and good for women too. Um, and it was also unique because it laid out really specific, it basically quantified exercise and it said, hmm. you know, this is, um, this is how you can kind of test your fitness level. This is how much you need to be doing. And that was really different than how it had worked before them because doctors, the ones who were pro exercise kind of, knew it was good for you, but they didn't really know how to prescribe it, you know? And so with this, like, slim, really specific manual in hand, you know, people yes, started... literally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They started moving. And um, it was around that time, um, especially when you look at women's history, that the dance aerobics boom began, you know, or when it sort of first got its start, when running in particular, uh, really took off. Dr. Cooper running was kind of his primary, you know, form of, uh, most recommended form. of That energy. was his cardio. That was, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's, and then it kind of just, it just took off and off from there.
0: Well, when you look at photos, you know, and I, let's just, you said 1968 is when that book yeah. came up. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you look at photos from 1968 prior, it's rarely, I mean, it's rare that you see obese and fat people. Right. Um, And I'm curious if there was an intersection at time where the fitness began and diet, you know, so you're talking about a sedentary lifestyle that was maybe introduced Mm -hmm. after the war Mm -hmm. and immediately I'm thinking like McDonald's, you know, wonder bread, um, just things that make us fat and lazy Uh Um, and that kind of cold, you know, Maybe ran parallel at the same time frame. In that book, or at that time, was mm-hmm. diet even being discussed at all, or was it purely just exercises how you would lose weight? I mean, was there any it, correlation?
1: It, yeah, it was, and it's interesting too because before, around you know the late sixties, that was another thing. There wasn't even consensus on whether exercise yep. could make you lose weight, and so it was purely diet. Really, um, I mean, you know, with Again, certain doctors sort of being ahead of their time with recommending exercise. Um, you're right. The fifties is known as the golden age of food processing. It's when so many fast food chains, um, were founded and, and when, uh, uh yeah, the, 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 all of them well, yes, yeah, <laughs> for the most part and, and food really, you know, um, moved from, food production largely moved from the, the farm to the factory. I mean, that was happening in, during World War II and before that as well. But that's when it really exploded, yeah, um, starting in that decade. And so, um, yeah, and I should say, I mean, my research, because this topic of diet and fitness and health is so vast, I kind yes, of had the course. um, I really focused in on the fitness element of it, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I mean, um. It's just interesting to talk about because, again, you know how quickly
0: that changed that diet and how quickly people became fat. Um, I
1: mean, people just to—it's you know—it was I think 1952 that um, the government declared obesity a, a, a national health crisis, and I'm very you know I um, I don't like to use that word. That's not the sort of preferred word um, among among uh, body positivity activists, but. But I think there is sort of a false perception that it's a brand, you know, a relatively new issue, Mm -hmm. something that the country was um, thinking about for, has been thinking about for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I mean, something I talk about in my book um, is that because, uh, and and this can even be traced in some ways to the book Aerobics and what began uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, you know, because... Exercise and fitness has often been kind of positioned as this lifestyle, you know, like an all-consuming lifestyle that, you know, you have to have the right gear and it requires time. And it's like, um, you know, a daily commitment. It That's so many Americans uh, and people around the world don't have, you know, don't have the luxury of having that time or that access um, or the, the money required. And so people just do nothing, you know, which is, I, I really, um, I have a lot of compassion for, you know, for people who find themselves in that situation. And so I think it's like a very American idea that like that kind of Puritan work ethic of go big or go home. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. but I think, um, you know, I, when I talk about kind of how we can maybe uh, increase the movement level of people in this country I think part of it is is maybe advocating for a, a kinder gentler approach that's just even if it's just going for a 20-minute walk day mm-hmm. you know, it's better than doing nothing
0: mm-hmm. so this book comes out aerobics in 1968 and now it's kind of in the public consciousness mm-hmm. where did your research bring you to so bring us through you know Now we're into the 70s, and I'm assuming, you know, actresses and things like that are kind of coming into the public eye maybe at that point.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Farrah Fawcett was like the real poster child (laughs) of the kind of sporty, fit lifestyle, um, especially by the late 70s. You know, she she was like the country's It Girl.
0: What was her first big movie? I, I'm not, I can't.
1: Oh, she was, she starred in uh, Charlie's Angels. That's that what was, it was. That yeah, was it was a TV big,
0: show. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah claim yeah. to shame.
1: Um, in like 1978, she's on the cover of People, uh, you know, I think the he- it was for running and the headline was something like, jogging, everyone's doing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the 70s saw the explosion of running, um, people just like average adults, very few average adults really jogged for fun before yeah. the 1970s. And if anything, if you were like jogging down the street, um, especially as a woman before then you, people were like, kind of like, what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know? Um, and, but in the seventies, it really became, um, like a trend, you know? And, um, and so, um, there was also like during that time, you know, this idea that it, that it, um, uh, people treated running as a transcendental experience, which kind of fit with the ethos of that era. Interesting. Um, and for women, um, there were, I mean, it, it's amazing again, how recent this is, but until like, you know, the early 1970s, many athletic officials believed that it was, it was actually dangerous for a woman to run more than two miles at a time. So women were banned from many, most really road races. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my book, I talk about a few of the running pioneers, like Katherine Switzer, who was the first woman to run the Boston marathon with a number in 1967, who worked to change this when she, when she ran, um she had entered the race using her initials and so they didn't realize she was female Ah. yeah when the race director discovered there was a woman in his race four miles in he like tried to he tackled her and tried to you know rip the number off her
0: shirt isn't there a famous photo of that yes Yes. yeah okay yeah 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 yeah
2: yeah i remember that it Mm -hmm. it was
1: yeah it was you know it was a horrible experience for her but those photos when they went around the world you know when they made their way around the globe, um, really helped to bring a lot of attention to the cause, and so um, so a lot of yeah, I read a lot about kind of the the fight for uh, opportunities there in the seventies, and there are also some really key innovations during that time, like in nineteen seventy seven, um, a few women runners invented the sports bra. The sports bra didn't mm-hmm. exist before then, which is kind of amazing, and I look at it as you know just another um, more evidence of how little women were encouraged to move before then. Mm. So um, that was happening. And also uh, aerobics, aerobic dancing, the seeds were planted (laughs) in um, really like 1969. That's when jazzercise was first created and another really popular um, method. And that gradually took off throughout the seventies. And then in 1978, um, Jane Fonda opened her, her first workout studio. So that's all kind of, you know, paving the way for what happened in the
0: eighties. I, s- I saw on your Instagram, you posted, uh, you had a, the original brochure from that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That How did you cool. find that? I mean, that must've been a collectible.
1: Yeah. Well that actually it's, you know, that came from, um, a friend of my mother-in-law's, actually. obviously, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's you know, what, once I started um, asking around, and people knew I was reporting on this topic, a lot of people came out of the woodworks with oh, amazing, you know, sort of memorabilia. Um, and that brochure is in pristine condition too. I'm,
0: yeah, amazing. I'm sure my mother still has that Suzanne Summers VHS tape. Yeah, I yeah. Imagine. I'd have to imagine. So I, I, I. A couple of, mm-hmm. in, in the 70s, are commercial gyms even a thing? I mean, is there are, are gyms around, you know, are there places where people can go in and lift weights? I mean, this is how I, naive I feel about this timeline and the structure. I mean, was that- right. no, them? you're not are,
1: naive. Uh, most people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Yeah, so there were gyms. I mean, gyms for much of the 20th century had this sort of reputation of being these kind of seedy, like, yeah. underground type places. Um, there were a lot of like, there was a lot of stigma against men who pumped iron as well. Um, you know, this belief that kind of like brain and brawn were not compatible. Um, and so, um, but they're starting in about the fifties, I think, um, you know, there were a few like fitness entrepreneurs who, started to introduce more of this idea of the, the luxury gym that was mm-hmm. kind of the predecessor of what we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, what, what was really significant in the 70s was that, um, well, for one, as the fitness boom swept the country, more uh, multi-purpose gyms and health clubs started to open up, you know, these like multiplexes with racquetball courts and machines okay, and yeah and then also in about the mid the mid 70s starting then gyms started to become co-ed for the first time okay um, before then they were they weren't there were I mean there were some gyms where women were allowed to like you know enter but there would be special ladies days so it wasn't mm. They would never be working out at the same time as men um yeah. So gyms became co-ed because there was more of a demand. They, they, they became these sprawling um, like social hubs. And that's also kind of when the idea of like the gym as this sexy, you know, single scene got its start um, which really intensified heading into the 80s. But also it was before really like the late 70s, women really didn't lift weights. Um, So if a woman was going to go to one of these gyms, it was more to, you know, use machines, jog, swim. Um, And then that really began to change also in the late 70s, heading into the 80s.
0: So Jane Fonda opens up this beautiful place, I'm assuming in Los Angeles,
1: in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And it was, it was cool, yeah, but it was, it was also kind of bare bones. It was like, she really, you know, Jane Fonda was really, um, at that time she was married to Tom Hayden, the political activist. Okay, yeah, uh, And was like, she, she like famously slept on a mattress on the floor. And so she wanted this to be, the studio was opened exclusively to fund Tom Hayden's political pack. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And helped get him elected to the California state assembly. Okay. Every single dollar she made was funneled into that. And so, yeah, I mean, it was in Beverly Hills, but <laughs> she also, she, it was pretty no frills.
0: Sure. So but she opens this up and maybe this will kind of opens up more public consciousness of what is going to happen, maybe coming into the 80s. So was there a specific woman or a specific person who kind of took the reins and did it really kind of blast open into the next decade?
1: Yes. I mean, you know, there was it was this collective. um build kind of but but jane fonda really tipped it over the edge so she opened her studio and it was very popular from the beginning i mean it was really uh, like as it probably would be today too you know she was this major major celebrity and she was teaching classes and for her like you know people wanted to check it out and um and and she was also i think 43 when she opened it so it it you know, was, that was something new that a woman could be in her forties and, you know, um, still be considered beautiful Mm -hmm. and working out in a leotard. Um, and then, um, so the, the studio led to a book deal, um, which, you know, the book, her first Jane Fonda workout book, similar story became a huge bestseller. Um, And, yeah, it was, like, on the top of the New York Times bestseller list Mm -hmm. for many, many weeks. And then that led to uh, her workout video, which was created at a time when, like, not that many people even owned VCRs.
0: Sure. This is the early to mid-80s? This
1: was 82. Yeah. Yeah, okay. she was approached by this guy who was a, a young home video, you know, entrepreneur, kind of visionary, but um, he, like, when he first approached her, no, she said she had never purchased a video, like, no one she knew had ever purchased a VHS tape. So she was like, why? I'm talking would
0: I to someone about an NFT right now. I'm like, what?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, what? Yeah. She was, she was already releasing, a, a you know, a record to go along with her book. She was like, why do I need more than that? And he eventually convinced her. And, um, the video is actually credited with helping to launch the entire home video industry because yeah, like before then, people, people didn't really get like why you would need to, or want to watch a movie so many times that you had to own it. You know, it's so different from today. Um, but with a workout video, if you wanted to see, you know, results, you needed to do it regularly. Yeah, yeah, Yeah her video became like for a while it was the best-selling home video of all time. It sold 17 million copies. And that just, it also expanded access to, um, (laughs) women all over the world, you know, who could afford, uh, the tape and, and a VCR. And then there were between that and jazzercise, which by the early eighties was like the country's second biggest franchise behind Domino's pizza, (laughs) um, which is funny. Yeah. Um, it just there, you know. It then inspired women not only to want to work out, but also to want to teach. And it it grew and grew from there. It also launched the um fitness home video industry, which it's like. I mean, that's just an amazing archive of material. by By the end of the eighties, there were like five hundred fitness videos being produced every year.
0: And now this is where it comes into my head because I. I uh-huh. For for sake of conversation, I was born in 1987, but I remember, I you know, some of my earliest memories are like seeing this thing in my mother's closet, and Mm -hmm. it was like this weird looking thing. And as a four year old, you're like, yeah, you're doing all the weird stuff. I remember she had all the videos, she did all the things, and as a kid, you know, you're not thinking about this kind of stuff. But as I got older. And you look back on that and I would think to myself, you know, it, that took a lot of dedication to do. It took mm. a lot of, you know, determination, just like willpower, because like you said, this was at home fitness. You're not mm. going to the gym. You're not be- no one's spotting you. No one's like right. in your ear being like, good job.
1: Right. Um, right. So
0: yeah, it took a certain kind of person to even want to do that on their own. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I mean, the thing that's, interesting is with women's fitness um you know it had always from even the early days in the 1950s um it really was always tied to beauty and appearance and weight loss and that was kind of how some of the earliest pioneers made exercise acceptable for women because of it it, like you couldn't go from saying from you know not working out to being like trying to convince women to do put, to do, uh, push-ups and have yeah. um, bulging and biceps.
0: Gradual,
2: yeah.
1: It was, yeah, and it was kind of, you know, I, in the book I talk about it as like uh, broccoli dipped in chocolate, you know, it was kind of selling this strength in the package of, of beauty. Mm-hmm. And, um, but as the decades went on for women, there was also, you know, that was kind of coupled with these Really, ever increasing beauty standards, and I think when you think about even the name "thigh master," sure. <laughs> what's that? You know, what's that telling women? It's like uh, that if we don't work hard, our you know, our our thighs or whatever body part will just spiral out of control. Yep. Yep. Um, so there was a lot of motivation among you know among many many women uh, at that time and before and after to. Um, Use the tools that were available to try mm-hmm. to, you know, attain or maintain a certain physique.
0: Mm-hmm. So now that this brings us to the '80s, and I'm assuming the, you know, the '90s too. I'm not sure. Did, mm-hmm. Were there any significant changes in the next decade um, with the, in regards to women's
1: fitness? Um. Yeah. So the late '80s into the '90s was really the era of like. Uh, I, I interviewed the star of the Buns of Steel series, um, Tammy I, I,
0: I don't know that one. <laughs> oh
2: yeah,
1: oh yeah. It, buns of Steel, and then it, there were like Abs of Steel. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. a great scene in the movie Clueless where Cher is trying to give Ty a makeover, and you know they're like doing the Buns of Steel workout, and she's like, "This, my, my I do have a
0: sister. Yes, I, I yeah. remember. These
1: yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so." Yeah. That's when, um, you know, there was more of this focus. It wasn't just doing aerobics. It wasn't just working out. Then it was like women wanted to have, you know, like hard bodies. Sure. And so, and that's also Buns of Steel and the Master came out at around the same time. Um, there was more of a trend toward right. that kind of, uh, strength training or building muscle, but, you know, with the goal of kind of being as sleek and
0: yeah,
1: packed as possible. Um, and then what started to happen was um, in the as the eight as the nineties continued, a lot of women were really getting burnt out. You know, uh, from you know often well-meaning fitness gurus who stressed that it did have to be this kind of everyday commitment. Also, a lot of the early aerobics instructors weren't, you know, that well trained. And so there were injuries. And, and, you know, also by the 90s, a lot of the women who had started working out in the 70s or 80s were were really reaching middle age.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: the 90s was when we saw the, the boom in in yoga um, mm-hmm. because, you know, people were burnt out. They, they were kind of over the many people were over the big multiplex health club and um yoga offered something really different and so that was when i mean yoga has a extremely long history as you can imagine it was not by any means invented in the 90s and it wasn't invented
0: um, in boston no
1: what's that it said it
0: wasn't invented in boston no
1: no i, I mean shocking i know but um but uh, but that was when it went. You know, there was a point in the '70s where it was really really popular, and there's this great Time article where they declare yoga as being as as American as apple pie. But um, but that then with like the rise of gyms and aerobics and this more hardcore mentality, it kind of faded away. And then in the '90s was when it, it just came back. in. Okay. and uh, it was really helped by these huge celebrities who got into it, like Madonna, um, these supermodels. And it was just, you know, it was like the, it was the workout de jour. It also helped women kind of achieve the body de jour uh, mm-hmm. the 90s. Once we kind of moved out of the Buns of Steel era a little bit, it was that more long, lanky, I mean, the extreme example is Kate Moss, but that like willowy, really thin figure, which yoga, um, you know, promised women.
0: Well, Um, I have a quick I want to stop you there. Uh, Did your research bring you, as you're studying this, are you also examining what's happening in popular culture at the time? So in the night, you know, I'm assuming with, you know, these, these trends, also women are being, you know, There's media, right? There's magazines, there's photo, there's there's an image being pushed out as well. Yeah. Was the image changing along with the, whatever fitness might have been, you know, so when Abs of Steel was around where there were a lot of women were just like ripped six packs and then, okay. Yeah. Did your research bring you through that?
1: Definitely. I mean, that was, that was something that I was most interested in exploring. Um, both the ways pop culture influenced body ideals, and, and vice versa. <clears throat> um, there were some, I mean, you know, great examples along the way, like, um, Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2, when she showed up with these, like, really, yeah. you know, yeah. just ripped, basically suddenly, whereas before women were trying to, you know, we're just so afraid of bulk, which has not totally gone away, but now women like wanted those arms, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that. I, I tried as best I could to kind of follow that thread and and look at why certain bodies were being really you know held up as aspirational, and others faded away. Um, and you can go even. I mean, you know, part of my job as a as a um, cultural historian and commentator is to kind of you know look maybe even deeper and looking at how uh, politics what was happening more broadly on a social level in the country Mm -hmm. um, and what was happening with women's kind of stature in society was also affecting the types of workouts we did and the types of bodies that we were aspiring to.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm So the nineties happens, you know, all these things, I kind of want to get and If if we're skipping over something, let me know, but only because nowadays, you know, Body image is just, you know, it's shoved in your face. I mean, all day, right? All day, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. constantly. And and I I can only speak as a male, right? Yeah. But I started taking my fitness pretty seriously about five years ago. I kind of grew up as like a you know just a normal chubby kid, you know. (laughs) But I contribute that more to my diet. Growing up, as opposed to, I was always an active person, but you know, my mother would buy Oreos and soda, and if you eat that, you'll get you know, you won't be skinny. Um, That (laughs) being that being said, as I got older, I started looking at body positivity in a positive way. So I, it was a goal to achieve, as opposed to being a negative feeling where I felt I'm not good enough.
1: Right, Um, a punishment. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: exactly, exactly. I'm sure you uh, will do you talk about social media in the book does it get that far into how that affects especially women nowadays I mean you know like yeah. a couple of people in my life who are deeply affected by that kind of stuff
1: Right Yeah it does and I mean to be honest I wish I, I if I had like 100 more pages in the book I could Next probably, book Yeah yeah um you know I I will say um and this is partly because um, the book in many ways is a celebration of, you know, um, women's strength and these pioneers and how far we've come. So while I talk a little bit about the negative, the I mean, the like vast <laughs> sort of um, abyss that social media can be when it comes wow. to toxic body ideals, I also focus on some of the more positive aspects yeah. of social media has brought us, um, which is just so much more representation and diversity in terms of bodies and fitness than we've really ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, I interview and I profile the yoga guru, um, Jessamyn Stanley in the book and she, I don't know. I, I don't, are you familiar with Jessamine?
0: No, I mean, I've been practicing yoga for 10 years now, but no, the names escape me. I kind of, I'm not, sure. in, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So she, um, she is, she's, you know, has an incredible story. She describes herself as being, um, I mean, she's, she's much larger than your typical yoga icon. She's black, she's queer, and she, um, has built this tremendous following and it really started with her home yoga practice that she started documenting on social media. And, um, she talks about, you know, just people for the first time, they had never seen themselves reflected in the yoga community. Mm -hmm. And so there are kind of Jessamines and many of them in now in every realm of fitness. Um, And I think, you know, if you look at um, what, and I I actually, I'm now I'm curious, I kind of want to see how this has changed for like men as well. I've been so focused on women, but so many of the popular like athleisure brands now from Athleta to even Lululemon, which, you know, really got in trouble a few years ago for saying their clothes like were only for thin women. Um, now their models are a range of sizes. There's so many women's magazines that were only, you know, only showed one type of model now show so much more of, of an array. And that's a lot of that Um, like if you talk to body positivity, uh, fitness activists, I, you know, really believe that that came from largely from the conversation that was happening on social media. Um, there was one woman I interviewed who put it really well. She said something like what you see on social media are the, the people who have always been in the majority, like in number, but not in voice or not in power. Mm -hmm. And because it's now, whereas before it was just like magazines and pop culture and everything, sort of telling us how to be and how to look, it's now a two-way conversation where people can respond. And, um, so there's a lot of really positive stuff that's happening there. Um, but, um, you just have to, it, it sometimes takes some work to find the accounts. and. The yeah, no. To- <laughs> and,
0: and, and if you disagree with me, please disagree with me. But, I notice that, you know, it's almost they they go up it's they go opposite ways. So the more in general popular culture that body positivity is pushed with women, yeah, it's almost the opposite with men. Where Mm -hmm. nowadays it feels like, you know, like who had ever heard of a dad bond two years ago? Right? <laughs> like, like to me, like as a guy who goes to the gym and yeah. works out to make myself feel better and to you know to give myself confidence, et cetera, et mm-hmm. cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now I'm being told, you know, all the women I'm trying to date are like, I only want to date a guy who's got a belly. And like, you know, so it's like right. it's almost always been the opposite. Right
1: right, 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 right.
0: It's it's weird how that happens. Um
1: that's so interesting. I mean, and that's not, I can't like. I want to do more. I want to kind of explore that more, but I think, you know, I mean, I know that if you think about it, one explanation might be that as women are becoming more accepting of themselves and their own bodies and, <laughs> and feeling uh, already, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but like I, I could, I could imagine someone feeling like uh, self-conscious if they're with someone who is really, um, you know uh whose standards for their own physique are really high sure. so if you think about it you know if you're both kind of <laughs> if uh you know accepting of of having a little bit of a punch then that might feel more comfortable
0: no totally um, but the fact that it even turns into a, a hashtag right i'm just saying it's so yeah. different that it's so different nowadays how you know how this information gets put out to us in a positive way or a negative way yeah
1: um, does that, I mean, does that, is that something that makes you feel self-conscious? If so, if it, are you, if
0: you're, are you Again, too? I know totally. And I preface, and I'm happy you asked that. Um, usually people get pissed off when I talk about myself on the podcast. Uh, I, I try not to. Uh, I preface that by saying I grew up as a chubby kid. Right, so right, right. I will, oh, that little chubby dude will always be deep. Mm-hmm deep in the darkest parts of my soul Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when i work out and you know i i practice i i do jujitsu i box i'm an active guy so i do take pride in that right because like i said with my mother like it shows to me determination strong right Right. if i have that ultimately i would look for that in let's just say a partner um but that being said does it make me i don't know i mean i don't if if women want to date a guy with a dad bod, I'm not gonna just eat Chinese food and not work out anymore. You know? Right, right. At right. the end of the day, it really should be about yourself. Yeah. Um, I like to think that women at the end of the day, when they get done with a the workout, they feel good about themselves. Um, right. I hope that's the case. You know, I hope that continues to be the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, it seems like, you know, it it had that that sort of um requirement or preference has more to do doesn't even have that much to do with like the actual like person's physical appearance you know it's not like a strong strong attack it's it's not like they have this like strong animal magnetism to a little punch. you know it's more it's more the perceived judgment of you know uh some people who who are just like totally devoted to shaping their bodies and I think like, I I mean, um, I do think in the past few years, especially too, there's been a lot more conversation about all of the reasons why we exercise that have nothing to do with the way we look, you know, like mental health, emotional health, all of of the attributes you just mentioned that you admired in your mom, you know, um, perseverance. And so I think, um, you know, I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of a backlash to, the culture of the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s of like um, this hardcore gym six-pack ab mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, But as the conversation like becomes more, you know, sort of as we expand it to talk about things beyond reasons why, you, you know, you might work out beyond how you look, um, I think it might level out a little
0: bit, you know, and it's like, you know, and I hope that gets talked about more because, you know, when you go to a therapist, you tell them you're mm-hmm. depressed rather than ask the general questions of well, what's your diet. Like, you know, are you exercising? Here's a pill. But right. When when I started exercising, the mind and body correlation was almost instantaneous where yeah. I would get done with a really hard workout and afterwards I would feel almost high, you know, in a sense right. of this. And, and once I kind of started getting tapping into that, then it turned into like a snake eating itself. Well, yeah. if I make myself feel better, I'll feel better in my head. And then it continues that way. Totally. And yeah. you know, that again, I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, even we're in COVID times, you know, how often yeah. do you hear people saying instead of, you know, Maybe you should exercise a little more and take some vitamins. And you know, right, right. It's almost like they're not getting pushed into the forefront, mm-hmm. maybe for a reason. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Kellogg's needs to make cereal still. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the high that you talk about, it's. There, you know, there is both, there are chemicals that are released when we exercise. Obviously, everyone knows about like endorphins, but there's a whole host, you know, a whole cocktail of chemicals and can vary depending on the type of exercise you're doing. But that really have been shown to have a, um, (laughs) have a um,
2: conversation.
1: Sure. (laughs) Um, Can help with anxiety and depression. And then, and I mean, one reason why I connected with this topic was because, I am a lifelong uh, runner, I mean, really jogger, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and for me, not only does it do I like sort of feel that endorphin high, but um I'm able to apply so many of the lessons that I've learned through running to other parts of my life, like particularly i I ran a marathon a few years ago, and there I can't tell you how often, you know, if I'm going through a difficult time or whatever, I just, I I draw on what I learned. And I say, you know, if I could, okay, I'm just I'm at mile 21, if I can just kind of like push through, you know, um, I'll get there. And so um, I think that's really real for a lot of people that feeling of pride, and um, self reliance that is, you know, totally separate from um, our physical appearance or weight loss or anything like that.
0: It's it's a mind body connection. I think very you know?
1: much. Yeah, and again,
0: I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not. This is not. You know, working out is not easy. Running a marathon is not easy. You know, right. like going to jujitsu is not easy to mm-hmm. do. Um, and there are days where I feel like I just don't want to do it. Anyways, I'm sure there are days you feel like you don't want to run. Anyways,
1: yeah, of course.
0: Um, but you know what? If you do it how you're going to feel after. And, you know, again, it's, I think of it as a snake eating itself kind of thing. Right. And I
1: think, I mean, I, and this is just my general approach and always has been as kind of a a women's health reporter and, um, and a writer, but um, I, I really believe in moving in a way that feels good. And so if for some people, given what else they have going on in their life and their health, their health level and things like that, their fitness level, if that is going for a brisk walk once a day, you know, great. If that is training for a marathon, like moving in a way that feels good does not have to mean moving in a way that's easy. You know, it's just listening to your body at that moment in time and at uh, that stage of life and, and finding the, the form of movement that brings you joy, you know? So, um, but it's hard because we're, there are so many um, cultural messages, especially in this country, that kind of suggest that, you know harder faster is better and that's not always the case
0: ah, yeah danielle this has been an absolute pleasure um i'm Likewise. sure yeah I, I know some people are gonna really dig this one um a couple things real quick are you on twitter instagram where can people kind of follow this journey that you're taking people yeah
1: through? yeah well i'm most active on instagram okay um, what's your handle danielle friedman writes great and i also if you're curious for people who are curious i really track the entire process of researching this book and share a lot of fun, um, sometimes like absurd visuals from the crazy archives of fitness history. Um, I'm also on Twitter, D Friedman writes, um, those are the main, those are the main places to find
0: me. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Other than that, I mean, and the book is called get F- let's get physical and, um, it comes out next month, right?
1: It comes out next week, actually. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I wish I had, had a copy
0: of it. You know, I, I didn't have that. I would have had the you digital just, copy behind my head the whole oh, time. Oh,
1: sure. Yeah. Wait, you can you hold
0: copy. up the cover one more time for people to see? Because I do like that.
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: <laughs> who's other, Is that a specific? Is that? No, it's not. A, oh, it's, okay.
1: there, there is a photo insert. I thought it was
0: Farrah
2: Fawcett. It,
1: <laughs> it could be. She's sort of meant to be. Uh, she can be whoever whoever readers want her to be. I love it. But um, Yeah. It comes out next Tuesday, January 4th. So are you excited? um, Very excited. Available for pre-order now. And um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on this. Oh, this is a blast. blast. Yeah, totally. Yeah, most definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much,
0: Danielle. We'll talk soon.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.